Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. A look at the changing risk and resilience landscape with insights on the challenges facing businesses today and tomorrow. Hi, everybody. I'm Renee Koa from Zurich North America. There's a saying about change that seems appropriate for 2021. Change before you have to. For companies doing business around the world, it's particularly relevant. The COVID pandemic accelerated a variety of risks and trends, many of which were in play prior to 2020. For each of these major shifts on the global landscape, businesses also need to adapt their risk management strategy to both protect their companies and keep pace with the future. Here to talk about the challenges for global businesses today and in the coming years is Andy Zoller, Head of International Programs for U.S. National Accounts and Middle Market at Zurich North America. He's responsible for Zurich's overall international value proposition and go-to-market strategy. Andy has been in the insurance industry for 20 years. 11 of those 20 have been in the international arena, and he has also spent many years as a producer and in a variety of executive leadership roles in the industry. Andy, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Renee, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this. First, can we establish who exactly these global trends will affect? Because although we think about multinational corporations when we hear the words international business risks, these can also affect mid-sized companies too, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it may it may sound kind of 2001, but anybody that has a internet address has the potential for some form of international risk. We see mid-sized companies here at Zurich that have overseas suppliers. It could be something as simple as somebody taking a business trip for a seminar. You know, a lot of people, when they think about international, they think, you know, you have to have a foreign subsidiary or you need to own some property, but that's not the only qualifier for an international risk. The supply chain has made a lot of headlines. COVID exposed a variety of vulnerabilities due to national lockdowns, mandatory factory closings, travel disruptions, even a global container shortage. A survey by EY reported that just 2% of respondents said they were fully prepared for what happened. Can you talk about the problem and offer some remedies? Yeah, and it's not just from COVID, right? Consider the Suez Canal disruption in March that took the world by surprise. Who, who knew a giant container ship would block one of the busiest waterways in the world for six days? You know, it took them another two weeks to get back to a normal schedule. So you have to imagine what havoc that created for companies. I think a lot of firms will have to reevaluate their just-in-time inventory model going forward. You know, there's, there's no doubt it's still the most efficient production model uh, ever in history. However, I, I believe companies will be looking for more redundancies going forward. They'll, they'll want to be certain that the human element of production gets the same level of importance as an adequate supply of raw materials. And, and I would say also, speaking of the human element, the other area I believe we will explore more is partnering with suppliers that have invested in robotics, 3D printing, and other technologies. Um, you know, while we have to be cognizant of the social impact of automation, there is definitely no denying after this pandemic that in increasing automation in production can help businesses be, you know, more resilient. Another area, I think artificial intelligence can be another tool that provides more transparency into a supply chain set of information. 
This can help a manufacturer understand the complete supply chain ecosystem and help them provide insights related to really further, further down the chain, like their supplier, supplier, or even further down. Um, whatever new technology a global company chooses to explore post-pandemic, uh, I think that now it's not only the supplier who they will work with that matters, but also what country that supplier is located in. You know, the response to the COVID crisis was treated differently depending on where in the world you were, and a government's response to health and safety issues uh, definitely also played a factor on how quickly uh, an overseas subsidiary could be up and running again. If a country where you operate does not have good enough infrastructure, it also won't matter if you lessen your human element risk with 3D printing because technology won't work without adequate power and resources. So ultimately, um, a deep understanding of your supply chain is where I'm trying to get at with this. And, and it really means you can ask better questions about your insured risks in the future. Wow, those are all great points and there's a lot to think about. Um, now I wanna go uh, to digitalization and the online marketplace. COVID was a game changer for companies that saw their online presence expand. The Global Risks Report 2021 estimated Worldwide e-commerce grew over 20% in 2020. And I wondered if you talk about what the ramifications are for this. You know, I think back to March of last year, my wife and I were definitely Amazon Prime members, uh, but I think we used the service more uh, for the Amazon Prime TV than we did for the free shipping. And you fast forward to today, I would say we've supplemented at least 50% of our daily household purchases uh, on an online basis. And um, I think the biggest difference a year after COVID began is that people's maturity of buying goods online has skyrocketed. To prove this point, I was reading recently that um, McKinsey had published a survey, I think it was back last October, where they found uh, companies are three times likelier after the crisis began to conduct at least 80% of their customer interactions digitally. That's a huge, wow. huge increase, right? A company has not yet recognized this new online market environment, and I doubt there are that many that haven't. Uh, I would tell them to take heed now. One other thing I'd like to note too is as, as a company's online presence grows, uh, so does their cybersecurity challenges. There were more cyber attacks on government agencies uh, and, and companies globally last year. A lot of them were leveraged by the COVID crisis uh, and the ability for hackers to get infiltrate, infiltrate networks. With the new norm of remote access by employees, there's much more risk involved uh, by having this remote access. And in, in the past, you could typically, on a local level in countries for subsidiaries, you could stop that on a local level because they had an uh, in-country only network. But now, over the last few years, it's all part of the cloud, right? So you could access something in, in Panama and in just a few clicks, you could be back into the main database for the entire firm. So it, it's a bigger threat because of the cloud arrangement than ever. Very sobering um, and a lot to think about there too. Next trend that you've talked about, Andy, um, sustainability initiatives. Being a good corporate citizen today increasingly means promoting environmentally friendly initiatives that align with the growing demands we've all seen for corporate accountability. But you've pointed out this carries with it a surprising risk. At least it was a surprise for me to hear. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. But definitely, I would say that the world is changing uh, related to sustainability initiatives. And I think for companies that do business around the world, it's it's a lot more complicated than just asking, how can we get green, right? That is a factor, but that's not the only one. You know, when it when it comes to a company's environmental, their social, their corporate governance commitments, um, I, I think most companies still today tend to act globally. But these sort of obligations uh, are usually handled very differently based on the local market conditions um, in, in the various countries where they operate. And this can create potentially risky exposures for its local directors and officers if you know, their shareholders locally believe that companies have either underperformed, misstated sustainability information, uh, or you know, even overstated their commitment to those goals. There could be other things too, with the governmental, financial, and reputational risks that they haven't thought of. I guess where I'm going is saying that companies can push a green agenda globally, but how they respond locally may largely depend on what the social push or mood is in the country. Um, and that can change quickly, right? Let, you know, Use a, a subsidiary in China right now as an example. So China only uh, in the past year has agreed to reduce its carbon emissions significantly by 2060. Prior to that, there really wasn't much discussion on China's part, or very little. So if you were a CEO of that local subsidiary, you may have been thinking through some of these issues due to a corporate governance commitment you had globally, um, but it's possible you delayed your actions knowing that the local government wasn't really pushing for the change, right? And even if they did do a good job at really pushing through the global uh, corporates, um, sustainability and issues uh, perfectly, how strict were they being with their suppliers that they don't ultimately control, right? That's also important and something to check. Well, I think in the big picture, it's uh, understanding how on a local level you're um, committing to the changes that the much broader corporation wants to see. And then, you know, having a backstop and truly understanding what, you know, your local directors and officers coverage says in country and making sure you have adequate limits um, and even separate limits for uh, those D's and O's outside the U.S. from what is traditionally done as a U.S. Um, global tower. Okay, and keeping the theme transitioning to insurance from DNO to global compliance. Now, it's always been important, but in-country insurance requirements are becoming a lot more complicated. Why is that, and what do companies need to be aware of? Yeah, it's actually, it's a very um, interesting time related to the global environment, uh, say more so than in the last 10 or 15 years. I think everybody can see is there's a heightened level of geopolitical change going on, and it's going to be increasingly challenging for companies to stay on top of, in our field, in the local insurance regulations. Like things like the pandemic have, have, and trade tensions, climate change, and, and other factors will all affect local political decisions. Look at Brexit or, uh, say, in the last couple of months, the, the political situation in Myanmar. All of these local in-country changes um, can cause the old rules and regulations to be modified or even thrown out, which can cause issues for everything from premium tax collection uh, to whether or not, you know, non-admitted risk and claim services is, is allowed uh, um, in, in country. And so, I would say if an insured, uh, a broker, a carrier is not up to speed on these changes, um, it is possible they could be structuring their program in a non-compliant fashion. I think it's very important to select when you're looking at a global program, regardless of what line of business you're you're in, is to you know select a carrier uh, that has a really robust system in place to track this and, and gets really good uh, uh, real-time data 
that can help support their their customer base as things uh, inevitably will change. Now, a different direction, although it's alluding to something you said earlier, the growth of additive technology, which um, we all know better as 3D printing. Andy, you've pointed out that it has the potential to domesticate production, which could favorably impact a company's insurance strategies. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think it's something that um, a lot of people haven't talked about yet or not thinking about quite yet. Now, with 3D printing, uh, you, you can manufacture anything from, you know, golf tees to T-shirts uh, to, you know, I think they're even looking into human uh, body parts and things at this point in time. And, you know, globally, 3D printing um, usage grew by 21% in 2020. So it's not, um, you know, uh, getting smaller and, and, and it's not still kind of a niche item. It's actually growing quite significantly. I think the pandemic taught a good lesson. There are other ways than being heavily reliant on human labor uh, to produce things. And, and ultimately, now that the cost of 3D printing systems is decreasing, the technology is getting better and faster. They may want to start looking at, does it make more sense for me to, from a cost perspective uh, or from a um, control perspective, to just bring my production back in country, right? So if you're a U.S. company that's typically used some other parts of the world for um, labor that was a little bit less expensive than, than they would have done here, um, you may have that opportunity to bring that back into the U.S. now uh, by using 3D printing as a solution. So it's, it's something to keep on the radar, something to see if, if the uh, shift does occur. I, I don't know if it will or not, but it's something I believe companies should be you know, looking at in the long run because you could potentially pull all that stuff back into your host country and maybe uh, at the similar price. Andy, given all of these trends that um, we've discussed, and obviously these just scratch the surface, can you explain what that means when it comes to businesses and their global insurance programs? Yeah, traditionally on the international insurance space, the, the talk was around the, the property and casualty buy, right? I, I got to know how I'm covering my global property program and I got to know how I'm covering my, uh, my global casualty. But I think what's um, developing and changing now is that, you know, customers are asking for more uh, holistic view of their international purchase. They uh, are really getting more involved in you know, what limits do I have in my local DNO because uh, I'm starting to see more and more claims on a local basis for this. And how is my cyber being treated? What terms and conditions do I have in country? I think that's slowly changing. There's this holistic view of seeing all of my risks overseas as part of my international buy versus before it was more uh, property and casualty. And I think it, you know, that multi-line multi -line approach also reflects the growing consumer demand for ease and transparency, right? You don't want to just go here for property, here for casualty, here for DNO, here for cyber, and then not really understanding um, how it all ties together and servicing will become key too. You know what what that means for the customer as an overall buy because you can get so many efficiencies gained by by looking at all lines of business and it's now how the customers seem to be coming to us asking for it. Okay, I wanted you to elaborate a little bit on how important streamlined servicing can be when it comes to a global program. Yeah, so it's funny, um, in all the years I've been doing this, there's been one common theme and that's the the servicing of the global program. Um, you know, if I, if I had to pick nine times out of 10 why a broker uh, or a carrier loses a customer's trust, it's around the servicing. And so I, I you know, I cannot emphasize enough 
um, that that's the most critical part of a international program because it's labor intensive. You know, you're, you're dealing with sometimes upwards of 70, 80 countries wow. that multinationals are, are working in. Right. And so you have a potential local policy for your property, a local policy for your casualty, a local policy for your DNO, a local cyber policy. You have a global benefits program that you're, you're managing with local uh, policies as well. So and, and many others. Having a good approach and working with a carrier that has a really good approach to servicing is critical. If I had to pick one thing, I think is the most important, all of international insurance is picking the right carrier from a servicing perspective, because that makes the broker's life easier, the customer's lives easier, and, and somebody that has a, a large enough network that can that can handle that servicing uh, quickly and transparently. So um, again, I, I think that's that's the biggest thing I would say when it comes to um, you know a holistic approach and a, a major asset is streamlined servicing. And, and the ability to view it regularly, um, transparently, is going to be key to any international program. Andy, this has been such a great conversation. And since our discussion basically revolves around change, I'm pivoting to the lightning round. <laughs> I'm going to ask you five questions, and you answer as quickly as possible. But feel free to elaborate on any of your answers. Are you ready? I am ready. One. What's your favorite international destination? That's a kind of a hard one, only because I, I like to travel um, a lot, and uh, I've uh, even moved a lot in my lifetime. I've been going to Romania every year, and I do that because my wife is is from there, and my in-laws still live in in, uh, in Romania. Um, and it's a wonderful country, great people, beautiful landscape, and um, so that that's probably high on my list though i also do favor germany because i used to live there and uh, when i was younger and i still speak the speak the language and, and i like to like to visit as often as i can do you have a hobby that would surprise your colleagues um i don't know if it would necessarily be a surprise to the people that know me but um i do like to read and, and learn about leadership i find it's a fascinating topic in particular as i've, I've grown in my career um, you know, if anybody's connected with me on LinkedIn, uh, that shouldn't come as a surprise because I, I enjoy finding um, good articles and sharing them with uh, with my network as often as I have time. Um, but yeah, I would say for people that don't know me as well, I really do enjoy reading about leadership and how to become a better leader. Now, your favorite movie about insurance. Oh, I, I would say I didn't know there were that many about insurance. <laughs> they're probably... Uh, so I'll go with the easy answer for my end is there was a movie, I think it was around 2011, 2012 called The Impossible. And the reason I'm going to say that one is because it was about the tsunami over, um, I, I can't remember which. Was it Bali? I think it might have, it was in Bali. Yes, thank you. It was in Bali. And uh, the reason why I'll say it's my favorite is because Zurich was in the movie. So we had adjusters uh, that were asking questions of, of some people on the ground afterwards. And, uh, and so since Zurich was so highly uh, promoted in that movie, I'll say the impossible. I did not know that. I will visit Netflix shortly after this conversation. Um, most important skill a leader should develop. I would say first off that there's a lot. Um, so that's a tough question, but you know, I would say listening skills is going to be high up on there. So I, I've always been the first to admit I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I do listen very well. And, you know, I, I believe you kind of surround yourself with a very talented and diverse team. 
you know, all the ideas you'll ever need are there. And it's your job as the leader to take those ideas and, and you know, put them into a into a common vision. And the only way you can do that is if you're, you know, first and foremost, really good at listening. That's great. Finally, what has insurance taught you about life? I would say pretty much everything because I'm a third generation uh, in the insurance oh. uh, industry. So between my, my grandfather, my father and myself. Um, so I would say it probably has taught me everything in life with that many generations involved. Honestly, I've had a, a lot of lessons over the years. Uh, one that I, will sh that I like to share a lot with, with folks that either a mentor or new in the industry is around um, making and owning your decisions. The story I like to share is uh, when I was a, a junior underwriter, prior carrier early on, and I was underwriting my first big account. And uh, after several days of reviewing, which probably should have only taken me a half an hour, but after several days <laughs> of reviewing, um, I, I presented my findings to my manager. It was a, it was a very large manufacturer down in Mexico that had um, very little water supply. And so when I was done, her opinion of the risk and you know that I just described to her, she she was kind of half listening. I was going through it. She's doing some other work, and she you know stopped what she was doing, looked me straight in the eye, and she said, "No, Andy, what's your opinion? That's what I pay you for." Right. I'll never forget that lesson because it is so important, you know, in the insurance business to give your opinion. You can be wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times when when evaluating risks or, or situations. Um, but uh, you always have to have an opinion because uh, that's what ultimately we're all getting getting paid for in this industry. I love that. Andy, this has been terrific. I really appreciate you talking up to us today and thank you so much. No, I appreciate it. Thank you guys uh, for having me on. It's been great. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at ZurichNA.com and join us next week. This has been a production of TNKR Media. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained herein may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.